to worship you today in a way that would be pleasing, that would lift up your name, would worship you in spirit and in truth. And when we walk away from this place today, Lord, we pray that each one of us would be chiseled a little bit more into the image of Jesus than when we came because we gave you praise, because we opened your word and learned, because we prayed, because we gave, because we did everything, Lord, uh, in a way that would please and honor you. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Uh, if you would fill out the, uh, the little, uh, I think it's blue, I should have it out there, sorry, uh, the connection card. If you're a first or second time guest, we would love to know who you are, so please uh, fill that out. And uh, we've got a token of our appreciation out there in the lobby if you take that out there after the service. For the rest of us, there's prayer cards, and we'll be faithful to pray for those, uh, so please do that. Special announcement tonight, uh, there is no evening service. Why? Because happy Father's Day, dads, and yay, yay. Okay, that's, boy, that was just a tremendous applause for dads. Okay, great. You know. If I just said happy Mother's Day, woo, you know. But, uh, okay, well, we'll try to liven this place up just a little bit. Uh, so, dads, here's a tribute to you. Life is always fair. I really enjoy repeating myself over and over again. I just love when the kids talk back to me. I don't care if you get a job this summer. I don't care if you get detention. Uh, uh, I, I can't open this jar. See if mom can open it. Just take your time in there, okay? No means maybe. Hey, why don't you bring that ball inside and play with it? Hey, don't put that back where you found it. Just leave it on the floor. Ew, bacon. If you put a dent in the car, it's really no big deal. It's 10 a.m. Go back to bed. Look, whatever your friends are doing, just do the exact same thing. I got more than enough sleep last night. If your friends are okay with it, then I'm okay with it. Stop signs are just a suggestion. You don't need a chaperone. You don't need a seatbelt. You don't need a savings account. You should buy the jeans with the holes in them. Hey, we're all gonna go to church, but you can just sleep in, okay? 
Can we please just hang out in here for another 10 minutes? Hey, can we get some more bickering back there? All right, bills. Yay, traffic. Woohoo, taxes. Yes, laundry. Hey, can you kids come in here and jump on my bed? Quick, go tell mom what happened right away. You don't need to finish your dinner. Hey, look at your phone when I'm talking to you. I wish I had a smaller TV. We got you that phone for a reason, texting boys. All right, everyone, listen up. Mom and I are going out of town this weekend, so please mess up the whole house while we're gone. Please throw a few parties while we're gone. Please forget about the dog entirely while we're gone. Hey, when you're finished pouring that, can you just leave it out on the counter all day? Thanks. I'm gonna bungee jump out of this tree. That's a really good idea. <laughs> All right, no dad sees himself in that, I know. Happy Father's Day, dads. So, uh, dads, parents in general, uh, we're gonna sing some songs that I hope will mean something to you. We're gonna sing phrases like, I will not boast in wealth or might. We're gonna sing phrases like, I will build my life upon God. We're going to sing phrases like, good, good father, because he, God, the father is ultimately the example we look to. Amen? And so uh, let's sing uh, these songs today. Oh, and by the way, let me remind you of last week's sermon. in my redeemer greatest treasure 
bow with me. Lord God, we come before you now. Just another time of, of praise, another time of worship. It is our time of giving that which you financially blessed us with, tithes and offerings. Lord, we pray that we would just be obedient in this area and that uh, you would uh, bless us uh, to, to be able to give to you faithfully and, and joyfully. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Say 
this next song I want us to learn together is new to us today. Uh, comes from Matthew 11. Let's read it together. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burdens light. When Jesus said that, he was referring to thousands of extra rules and regulations that scribes and Pharisees had set on the people that God had not set on the people. Well, those are gone today, but there's still thousands of rules and regulations that the world sets on us that God never set on us, right? And, and I'm speaking to myself and, and some dads that are trying to live under those rules and regulations that are about to burn out. And so come to Jesus and find rest in Him. Do it God's way. It still work. It still work, but it's satisfying. It's not burning out work. It's fulfilling work. It's not putting yourself in the grave work. And so let's uh, let's learn this song together. Sorrows for this broken world to heal. He 
is coming, soon returning, rest in Him. We will see Him. We will see Him, we will know Him. Oh, what heights of grace revealed from His kindness, every promise then fulfilled. Trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Good morning. Good morning, and I will add happy Father's Day to you gentlemen. Uh, I apologize if my voice ends up sounding a little raspy. The, when I fly on a plane, sometimes my, I guess my mind, sinus cavity and brain and ears and you're popping here and there. I, I still held my nose down front and blew and it popped in this right ear. And I could hear David so much better after that happened. <laughs> so, struggling a little bit with a head cold today, but... Nonetheless, just blessed to be here with our church family. Uh, you know, for years in the SBC life, we stood on the ground of the fact that we believe that this is the inerrant, infallible Word of God. Doctrines are holy, precepts are binding, historics are true, decisions are changeless. But I wonder today if we've forgotten that the Bible is also sufficient for all of life that we are called by God to apply it to every aspect of life. And I'm sure you realize that I believe this when it comes to the family, when it comes to being fathers. Do you believe that God's Word is sufficient for every single aspect of our lives and underscore today for parents, for fathers? I think if we look at our culture, we must all confess that we're not doing too good of a job of passing our faith on to the next generation or the truth 
concerning our God and His ways. We're not passing on a doctrinal heritage from one generation to the next. We have to stop and ask our question, the, the question, how many parents and children, even among churches, actually operate with a Christian worldview? Something we need to pause and ask ourselves. Do we as parents have as our goal, number one goal, the spiritual nourishment and development of our children? Here's what I see, and I think it's true often. Sometimes we want for our children what looks eerily like what pagans want for their children in the long run. Now think with me for a moment. Ultimately, uh, that is what we're getting. That's the product. We're getting good educations, so they say, successful jobs, but the Lord is nowhere in the picture, or at best, he's in the back of the bus. Now, we know this is a reality, don't we? David, David Blankenhorn said this years back when I was working on my dissertation. I stumbled upon this particular statement. He said, fatherlessness is the engine driving our most urgent social problems from crime to adolescent pregnancy, to domestic violence. And most recently, in an article called America's Crisis is a Lack of Fathers, an African-American named Burgess Owens reminds us that as we celebrate Father's Day, let's not forget the millions of children who are growing up without a dad, without a dad in the home, right? He reminds us in that article that fathers in their respective homes continues to be the key indicator of success for all children across racial, ethnic, and socioeconomic groups. So from that, we must say there's no doubt that America is experiencing an unprecedented fatherless crisis. I hope you realize that America owns the title of the world's leader in fatherlessness. And we wonder why we're in trouble. Approximately 80% of single parent homes are led by single mothers, leading to 25% of all of our youth growing up without a father in the home. Staggering. The statistics, that particular statistic has destroyed the nuclear family and is destroying and devastating communities across our nation. 85% of children and teens with behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. Over 70% of all adolescent patients in drug and alcohol treatment centers originate from homes without fathers. Now just hold your breath. If you combine that with the fact that 60% of all men in the U.S. have unsolved problems with their fathers, it's no wonder our country's in the shape it's in. Staggering. I think that few fathers today are willing to make the sacrifice that is necessary to turn their boys into men and their daughters into young ladies. I just throw out there for you to read anything by James Dobson on bringing up boys. And then the complimentary one, I can't remember it, Natalie, for daughters. But I would encourage you to go back and read them. They were written years ago. I want to say to you this morning, in light of all of the, that particular information I've given you, that our God is faithful. He will keep his promises. He has an impeccable track record. He is faithful. Psalm 50 verse 15 says,
Let the music roll, right? (laughs) Psalm 50 verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I shall rescue you and you will honor me. What a verse. I want to tell you that by God's goodness and grace, he's rescued me many times from trouble. And you know this to be true. And maybe you're in a place of trouble today with your children. I want you to know that that verse reminds us that our Heavenly Father sees you and he hears your cries. What a blessing. He is a good, good father. Fathering may be the single greatest challenge of your life. Especially, especially if you did not have a father to show you the way. It can be the greatest challenge of your life. But take heart. God has given you a guide map, an instruction manual, a tried and true method. So what he asks of you is that you accept the challenge. And you trust our God to lead you and your family. Fathers, you can't let the responsibility fall on your wife. Now we're about to enter in to Ephesians 5. We're going to hit and giving thanks and being submissive one to another. And then we're going to go down through what Martin Luther called the Hustafil, that family order of how God has designed the family. And we're going to go through that in the coming weeks. But if you let your wife become the primary mentor of your sons, one of two things will happen. Number one, they'll grow up to be feminized men, or they'll grow up to be angry men. God calls fathers to mentor their sons. And we're not denying that these are hard times that our young guys are growing up in. These messages around them are confusing. They're devastating. We can't depend on teachers, coaches, or youth leaders to mentor our sons. We have to do it. We have to do it. We can't depend on the world to educate our children. Your sons need you more now than ever. Again, this is not a sermon or a formula. You know how I feel about the how-tos. To make your son or daughter turn out okay. There are no perfect fathers. So don't feel pressured to be one. Okay? Sons make decisions. Fathering is like building a house. You'll discover that you have to make adjustments on the way. Right? All along the way. Uh, Fathers are sons that have grown up. We are all flawed human beings. No amens? And I think, since we're all flawed human beings, there's no perfect how-tos for fatherhood in the psychological realm. That's why every day is a new day for an engaged father with his family. Sometimes you think you know your child, and then you figure out you don't. Right? Sometimes influences or circumstances that are completely out of your control enter into that son's life. Or that daughter's life. And it affects them. And it derails him or her. But I want to give you a tried and true method of approach this morning. That's authoritative. It is from the living and relevant word of God. That is not only the word of God. But that is sufficient. For all of life. Here's a job description for fathers. Look look with me in Deuteronomy chapter 6. And I know in your bulletin it says verse 4. But I want to start reading in verse 3 to get the context. Remember the people of Israel have been in the wilderness how long? Forty years. And in regard to faith and integrity, I would say that their fathers had been less than heroic. Pretty much everybody that Moses is writing to at this point has buried their father. 
Are y'all listening? They pretty much buried their father. So with the exception of the families of Moses and Joshua and Caleb, every man had buried a father. But Deuteronomy is a series of sermons preached by Moses to people with great urgency. I want to remind you that this book, without question, is the most important theological statement in the entire Old Testament. And I would tell you that this particular text, in the heart of Judaism, in the heart of Israelite religion, is the most important text in the Old Testament. So, it's important. It is, Deuteronomy is to the Old Testament what Romans is to the New Testament. So, there are two words that come together in the book of Deuteronomy. Up to this point, you don't really see them brought together like you do in Deuteronomy 6. And the two words are love and obedience. Okay? Love and obedience are brought together. You and I express our love for our covenant God by our obedience. Love here is an action word. It is something that we do. We act upon it. Moses' teaching here is as a theologian and a spiritual father. And it towers over all of Israel's history as a nation. His work provides the basis for which kings, if you track these statements throughout the rest of Old Testament history, it's going to set that plumb line for kings, prophets, lay people, and even priests will be evaluated by this particular text of Scripture. So, in the end, the nation falls because its leaders and citizens fail to live by the book of the law found by Josiah's workers in the temple. Remember this? 2 Kings 22, 8-20. So, Deuteronomy 6 was for all the men of Israel. Every man. Are y'all listening? Every father. And especially the kings. So, it was a matter of life and death. And this is a job description for parents. Uh, the first title... It is for disciple-making dads. You ready to read the text? Verse 3. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. That again sets the context of where they're headed. They're going into a land that God has given them that has a plethora a multiplicity of false gods. And they're going into this land, and here's the preparation. The Bible says in verse 4, this is called the Shema, which is taken from the Hebrew word hear, and here's what the Lord wants us to hear. Is everybody ready? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, as you read that, think about the fact that the verbs are supplied They're not in the Hebrew. Actually, it would be read, The Lord, our God, the Lord, one. The Lord, our God, the Lord, one. O-N-E. Okay? So, the text says, in response to that, y'all tracking with me? In response to this, you shall love, direct command, the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, With all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Your entire 
being would be a good translation, right? As we went through Ephesians, we talked about this. And here's the second part. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your household and on your gates. I want to summarize what this is with a job description for parents and or disciple-making dads by just giving you two things that jump straight out of the text. And we're going to extrapolate on those two things. But here it is, folks. In light of who God is and the exclusivity that He is the only true and living God, here's our response. You are to love Him deeply. Amen? And you are to teach your children diligently. That's really the two lessons. Four through six, love God deeply. And then seven through nine, teach your children diligently. So in the Shema, we have a fundamental truth of the oneness of God. And then we have the fundamental duty of all religion that is based upon not religiosity, not you seeking after God, but God seeking after man. This particular understanding of religion is not, this is more of a relationship, okay? But when we say Israel's religion, this was the heart of it. The confession of faith is literally the Lord our God, the Lord one. So when you think about loving God deeply, here are three things to consider. You ready? First, we have to maintain exclusive commitment to him. Maintain exclusive commitment. Again, if you think of the wording of, Behold, our hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, that confession could be given in several ways, depending on how you see an adjective or adverb used. The Lord is our God. The Lord alone. The Lord our God. The Lord is one. The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. Or the Lord our God is one Lord. But I want to, if you look at the scholars, they're all going to talk about where should the emphasis fall on is he one or he's God alone. The fact of the matter is what he's really stressing is worship to Yahweh must be absolutely exclusive. He's the only one that we worship. The only one that we serve. And of course we could talk about he is one in three persons. We could talk about the divine trinity. But the emphasis here is on a relationship between God and his people that is exclusive. How do we know this? Well the Israelites are about to enter a land that worships multiple gods. And the Israelites are clearly to understand that they worship the true and living God. One God, and if we extrapolate that out in the New Testament, in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, we might, you might recall uh, 2 Chronicles 7.14. Y'all know that verse? Do you? If my people, alright, stop right there. Who are called by my name. 
What does that speak of? Ownership. It speaks of my people who are called by my name. So similarly here, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, folks, from this point on, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure this out as you read through the Old Testament, that this is going to continue to be an ongoing battle among the Israelites. And that battle is going to be on fidelity to Yahweh God. Isn't it? Is it? Isn't every story going to be pretty much, are you going to trust in the Lord God Almighty or not? Are you going to trust in the only true living God or not? Make no, make no mistake about it. Uh, we're living certainly today in a society that worships many gods. And the same call to them for God to be exclusive in our worship is the same call to us today not to have any idols. Not to have anything before our face other than our worship to Yahweh. Folks, our churches are even becoming more syncretistic. Do you all know that? What does that mean? Well, the world certainly likes to blend together Christianity and non-Christian thoughts. And it's more of a moralistic, therapeutic deism than it is biblical Christianity. In other words, we're good at wrapping the Bible and the cross in the American flag in the pursuit of the American dream, all the, all the while asking God to bless it. That's not what we're called to do or be. We're called to exclusively believe in the Lord our God and His Word. So, you need to make this commitment beforehand, right? You've got to make this commitment beforehand to our God as the only God, and we must root out anything that would compete with His rightful place in our lives. The immediate consequence of this declaration of the oneness in the command that we Maintain exclusive commitment to Him is a command. Love the Lord your God. And this is covenant loyalty language. Since the divine king had established a relationship with them, they must accept the responsibilities along with the privilege of the covenant in relationship with the Lord. So think of the depth and breadth, uh, breadth and expectation that is elaborated in the fact that He says, Heart. Soul and strength. The heart is the seat of the intellect. So get it out of your mind that maintaining exclusive commitment means that you're always happy and giddy and have great warm fuzzy feelings. No, this has to do with the mind engaging. How about the soul? Well, that refers to the invisible part of the individual, including will and sensibilities. And then strength. That is the physical side with all of its functions and capacities Natural abilities and even your resources. That's a pretty broad statement, right? To say that you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might or strength. This passage is describing exclusive commitment to the Lord. Here it is, folks. Love the Lord your God with all your entire being. Exclusively love Him. Jesus is going to pick up on this portion of Scripture, correct? Do you all know that? 
Jesus is going to say, I give you two commandments, basically. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength, and love, say it, and which, which you fulfill the commandments. Some argue that that's five, five. First five, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Next five commandments, love your neighbor as yourself. Some say it's going to be four, six, right, loving God first. Regardless of that, the fact of the matter is Jesus quotes this portion of Scripture because to love God, listen to this, as it commands, is to place oneself in the orbit of saving grace because the Shema, the heart and core of the entire Old Testament law or instruction was designed, as Paul said, to be put in charge to lead us to Christ to trust Him so that therefore we, be, we will be justified by faith. That's why Christ picks up on it. He's saying love God deeply. Jesus said that this was the first and great commandment. Fathers, are you ready? Does your child recognize that you maintain exclusive commitment to God? Do they recognize this? It's kind of quiet. You're staring at me like a calf looking at a new gate. Right? The question, again, dads, do they realize, your children, that you maintain exclusive commitment? No rivals. That you have to be exclusively committed to him. Check it out. It's, it's, it's thorough. It, it touches on every part of who you are. Love the Lord your God with all your heart mind, our soul, and your might, and your strength. There's nothing left out of that. That's what it means to love God. It means that you maintain exclusive commitment. Number two, it also means that you practice, practice absolute obedience to the Lord. When you love God and He is exclusive in your heart, mind, and soul, what He says matters. When you love Him, what He says matters. The first assignment a parent has after loving God is to store God's word in his heart. Right? Listen to Deuteronomy 4. If you'll flip back a page. Verse 9. Only take care and keep your soul diligently. Lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. And lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. You see the connection. Chapter 11. Of Deuteronomy. Verse 18. Similarly. You shall therefore lay up those words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. And they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children. Talking of them when you are sitting in your house. And when you are walking by the way. And when, you're li when you lie down. And when you rise up. God's design for the preservation of, of truth is the family. And with all that we have as Christians, we need to fight against the notion in our country that families don't matter. Al and Tipper Gore wrote a book called Joined at the Heart. And basically what that book was about is any two people that come together and desire to be married and they love each other, they can be married no matter who they are. And I think Al and Tipper Gore are now divorced. Joined at the heart, sad commentary on the world. What about what God says? What does God say 
about the family. So within the Christian community, the main link between what the generation knows and what the next generation will know is the link between parent and child. It's that particular link. Joel chapter 1, verse 3. This is going to be funny to watch you turn to it. Go ahead. Joel chapter 1, verse 3. I'm going to stand here until all you find it. It follows Hosea, and it's before Amos. <laughs> yeah, don't you love it? All right, Joel chapter 1, verse 3. Hey, look how it puts this. Tell your children of it, and let your children tell their children, and their children to another generation. Do you see the link between parent and child? A father who loves the Lord in such a wholehearted way Cherishes his commands, will obey those commands without a second thought. We're going to obey. Love for God and obedience to his commands are two sides of the same coin. If you love God, you will obey him. Not perfectly, but that's going to be your desire, to obey him. And kids need dads who love the Lord unashamedly and obey absolutely. Amen? And by virtue of their love for God, they love his words. That's pretty simple stuff. If you love God, you will love what he has to say. A father's faith provides security for his children. According to chapter 6 that we're already in, verse 20, When your son asks you in time to come what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, We were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand through signs and wonders. In other words, we need to remind our children of God's power. Amen? That our God is powerful. We need to remind our children that God has perfect wisdom and knowledge. We need to remind our children that nothing is impossible with our God. He has strength. Thus, when they know their father loves Jesus, it gives them security. Parents, you make Jesus known to your children through his word. That's how you do it. You do it through his word that he's given us. You have the primary responsibility under God for getting biblical truth and knowledge into the heads and hearts of your children. My question today is, will the next generation know? K-N-O-W. Will they actually know? Listen to Judges chapter 2, verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Now, unless you know, I haven't figured this out chronologically, this follows after Moses' sermons. Right? And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel and Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gash. Now verse 10, listen. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. And when you read down beginning in verse 11, you're going to see what happens. In other words, folks, if we don't assist in the perseverance 
and transmission of all God's revealed truth to the next generation, we're going to be in desperate trouble. And that's exactly what's going on. Joshua was 110, and he dies. And then there arose a generation after Joshua who did not know the Lord. Why? Because they did not teach God or his ways. And that's what happens. The result was terrible. Divine, the divine response was judgment. What do we need to do? Well, we need to keep the knowledge of our God present in our community and in our church. And if we do so, obedience will flourish. Keep it before the people. We can't allow our children to grow, out, grow up without this particular knowledge of who our God is. It'll only serve their unbelief if we do it. We don't want another generation to come up that does not know the Lord our God. Correct? So we must practice absolute obedience. God-ordained responsibility is for us to do this. Three, Number three, display all, at all times wholehearted devotion to the Lord. So, it, uh, we trust our God in the area of maintaining that complete commitment to Him, exclusive commitment that leads to obedience, and then the, how about devotion of the heart? I hope you realize that men tend to be warriors, and that's not a bad thing. We tend to be protectors. We tend to be keepers of honor. Uh, men will fight to death for honor. All you got to do is watch Top Gun, right? But God is saying, be a man of character and honor. Keep these things in your heart. Keep these commands ever upon your hearts, which I am about to lay as a lifeline for your families. What does he mean? Well, a father's integrity and devotion of heart provides that stability for family life, for children. And if the world does not see homes of integrity from God's people, where on earth in this godly society will people see it? Remember this, children's children are a crown to the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. When we read this, parents are the pride of their children, it ought to make every dad in this room hit your knees to consider that particular point. Am I worthy of their pride? Are you worthy of their pride with, with your devotion? Exclusive commitment, absolute obedience. How about devotion of heart? You are, as verse 6 reminds us, listen to it. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Full devotion to the Lord. Now we've got two options. When we consider that uh, do our children see us in the sense of pride when they look at us? The way we're devoted to our God, we've got a couple of responses. Well, we can surrender our God-given responsibility as a dad and leave our children for others to raise. Because we're not perfect. Or we can accept the responsibility and go to battle for our kids. I take the latter. Right? Warts and all. We're not perfect fathers, but we need to pick up the mantle. Not... We should not let anyone else in the world fill that vacuum that only dads can fill. Right? And across the United States of America, we're seeing parents rise up at school board meetings. Of course, they're called terrorists if they do that. Right? But they're rising up. Why? Because they sense the protective aspect, the warrior aspect, the keeping aspect that God has put in us. 
And many of them are displaying that wholehearted devotion that only God's guidance is right for leading our children. Only what the Word of God says. Do we make mistakes? Oh, you better believe it. We do. Again, I've said this to you. I've failed so many times as a father. I've fallen on my face so many times that my nose has a permanent upturn, right? And yours too. But what do we do? We get back up. We dust ourselves off. We straighten out our nose. And though we're not perfect, I've yet to see a child who does not respond correctly to a father who truly loves them. Right? That's what God has called us to do. Now, whew, I told Brother David that I didn't think it would take that long to preach this. All right? Love God deeply. Just real quick. Teach your children diligently. It won't take but a second. Here it is. How do you teach them diligently according to the text? Well, you need to be intentional as you model and teach God's word. Parents, especially fathers, were to present, to be present. Right? You can be in the home but not present. Right? So to be present in their lives as sons and daughters. And they're to be intentional when they're in their presence. In the day-to-day give and take. As we mentor our children, we model, we teach them the truth about God. Uh, Moses is going to use hyperbole. Moses said that the way the message is to be indelibly in them is by constant repetition and intentionality. Do you all see it in the text? You're intentional even if you're sitting down. At home or if you're walking on a pathway. Whether you're lying down to sleep or rising up for task of a new day, the teacher and pupil must be preoccupied with the truth of the Word of God. Is that making sense? The pairing of these sets, contrasting places, contrasting postures, unites opposing terms to express an all-encompassing concept. Sitting suggests inactivity. Even in inactivity... We need, to tr- we need to teach the truth of God's Word. Amen? Walking is the course of activity. We ought to teach it even when we're in the course of activity. And together, they encompass all of human effort. Likewise, to retire at night and to rise up in the morning speaks of the totality of time. Is this convicting to you like it is to me? That's why Moses says it like he does. Whether it's inactivity, activity, whether it is the totality of our time... It has to be on our minds intentionally to teach the Word of God. Some say today that it's better to leave all religious options open and then when he or she chooses, they will actually own what they believe. Do you all think about that? Well, I think, number one, that that goes counter to all that the Bible teaches that parents ought to teach their kids regarding truth. We are called by God to teach them the truth. Period. Number two, it's impossible not to teach children about God. Because not to teach them is to teach them plenty. Right? It teaches them that Jesus doesn't matter. And we need to be real careful here. We almost act like he's equal to a piece of furniture where you can take him or leave him. We actually sometimes walk so dangerous to that that we actually think that Jesus only equivocates to weekends at the lake. That doesn't set well with, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul. Right? It doesn't sit well. The most, and number three, it is simply unloving and cruel not to give a child what they need most. And what they need most is Jesus. 
simply cruel not to give them. So disregard anybody that tells you just let the kid go their own way and figure it out on their own. No, that goes against, that's contrary to everything this book teaches us. As a matter of fact, Timothy was made wise unto salvation because of a mother and grandmother who loved Jesus and poured the word of God into him. And it made him wise unto salvation. Why? It's the word of God that converts the soul. It says it in the scripture. So only through obedience, think about this, only through submission and obedience can a child be saved for eternity. Escape the torments of hell and enjoy the delights of heaven. So by all means, we want them to obey God. Sounds like the other confession in the Bible, Romans 10, 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This confession, the Shema, also sounds like this. If any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Sounds similar, doesn't it? So, teach your children diligently by intentionally modeling the Word of God. Number two, keep scriptures at the center of all of one's life and labor. Notice how he ends here. The Word of God, the truth of God is so important that it must be at the center of all of our labor and life. He's going to use more figurative language to express concepts. Listen to this. These concepts should identify you as a child of God. Y'all listening? It should identify you as a child of God. You should, as it were, wear your faith on your sleeves. People shouldn't have to do a private investigation to figure out you're a believer. Right? You should, in a sense, wear your faith on your sleeves and don't be ashamed of it. Live the gospel. That's why he's using this figurative language. It also talks about hands. You see more of your hands than any part of your body in a given day. When you reach out to do something, it ought to be tempered, led, everything by the word of God. Your labor, everything you do. What do others see more than anything else when they see you? Not your hands, but your, my mother-in-law calls it a forehead. Yeah, that's southern twang for a forehead, right? (laughs) What do they see when they approach you? They see your forehead. Now, I know some of you bald guys, they probably see whole bald head. But the fact of the matter is, it's the forehead. In other words, keep scripture before your eyes and what you do and keep it visible to others who you see. That's what this means in figurative language. The doorpost and the gates, what does that mean? Well, that's the last thing that you look at when you're leaving your home. And it's the first thing you look at when you're entering your home. So as you leave your home, it's the Word of God. As you come back, it's the Word of God. This establishes your identity as a home under and for God. Teach your children diligently. I think this is a job description that is timeless. It is non-cultural. The way a son becomes a man has not changed. I know there are new challenges. I know there are alternative lifestyles and all everything else. But it reminds me, folks, of the principle that we need to be working with our God, not against Him. Are you all listening? We know what the Word of God says. We know it's sufficient for all of life and practice. By all means, men, let's not work against the Lord. 
I remember I heard a story once. I thought it was relevant. I don't tell many jokes or stories. This is really not a joke, but anyway. But there's this guy who's walking down the street, and he notices a man struggling with a washing machine in the doorway of his home. And he's like, well, Christian thing to do is go help the guy get it in. He quickly ran over and began to help the older man. They shoved, pulled, lifted for several minutes before stopping in utter frustration. They just weren't making any progress. So the young guy says, I had no idea it would be so difficult to get this machine into the house. The older man replied, what do you mean get it into the house? I'm trying to get it out of the house. <laughs> Look, both had good intentions, amen? But they're working against each other. By all means, let's work with the Lord. You can't work your way to be saved, but if you're saved, you are called by God to let your salvation work out of you. And we need to listen to what he says. If a man isn't working with the Lord, he's going to be frustrated when it comes to being a father. If you're not working with the Lord, you're going to be frustrated when it comes to your children. We need to be diligent. You can do it. If you're saved and you belong to the Lord, you can do it. I mean... As one preacher used to talk about, we can regain the ground the locusts have destroyed. If we just simply start saying, okay, it is sufficient for life in practice, let me apply it. About, I guess, uh, 2002 or three, I was pastoring in North Augusta, South Carolina. And I read this little book called Letters from Dad. Anybody, ever, anybody here ever seen that book? Yeah, there's a couple of you that have. And it... It got my attention. I read this book, and basically what this was about was a man who did not have a father in the home that showed him the way biblically. And so he began to pray about a way that he could impact his children. So basically he just starts writing letters to them. And so I took some of our guys in our church through that, and it, it was really, as far as it went, you need to do more than write a letter, guys. You, know, you understand what I mean? It's one thing to write it down. It's another thing to live it. But as far as it went, it, it was really good for the men of our church to pause long enough to think about the legacy that they're leaving their children. But the writer of that book, I noted in the, very first, in the forward, said this. When my father died, all I had from him was a tackle box full of rusty lures. I want to ask you a question, men. If you died today, what would you have left your children? What kind of legacy would you have left them? I pray to the Lord that it's the fact that they can say, My dad loved God deeply. And he, did, he wasn't perfect, but he taught us diligently in every course of life what the truth of God's word was. We need to strive for that, men. I make no apologies to you. You need to strive for that. If you're saved today and you own Jesus as your Lord, if you are his people called by his name, then that's your responsibility. Love God deeply. Teach your children diligently. Amen? Father, help us. Lord God, we need a revival. Not just among men, but among all your people. The Southern Baptist Convention needs a revival. Lord, we need to come back to the truth and the sufficiency of Scripture. Lord, thank you for the beauty of the family. Uh, Lord, as a man, we all shrink back in almost like Adam-like passivity when we're 
challenged with responsibility. And God, help us. Help us as fathers to take that responsibility. We all tend to be passive. Lord, help us. Lord, help us to step up to be the men that you've called us to be. Uh, Lord, what a precious gift children are. And we know they can rip your heart right out of your chest. We get it. We know it. But Lord, that doesn't remove our responsibility as dads. Lord, to love them, to show them the way. Lord, you've blessed our church with a lot of young godly men and women and a lot of babies. Give us more. We bless your name for those babies. But Lord, help these men. Lord, maybe, may we raise up a generation that will not have the epitaph that was read in Judges 2. That they didn't know the Lord. Let that be the epitaph that they knew the Lord and served him faithfully. God help us. Uh, for dads, Lord God, we hear our, you hear our cries that we need your help. And you are a strong tower. And the righteous run into you and they are safe. We thank you for that. Lord, you're a strong tower. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond in the invitation. If you're here and you're a father and you don't know Christ, I want to tell you God is a good, good father, especially in the realm of sending his one and only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Not for ours only, but for the whole world. If you don't know the Lord today, you can know him. God convicts through his word, through his spirit. He draws. That's what the word of God says. If you know the Lord God is drawing you today into salvation, would you respond? And dads, if you're a believer today, stand with your pastor and say, you know what? I need to love God deeper, right? I need to teach my children more diligently. Amen? Let's stand together. Let's use the new song that we uh, learned today. Come to Jesus. Are you weary, heavy laden? Come and lay your burdens down. Jesus calls you. Jesus draws you. Rest in Him. He is gentle. He is lowly. He delights to bring you peace. Tender shepherd, mighty Savior, rest in Him. How sure. How sure His compassion. Oh, oh, oh.
Amen. To God be the glory. Happy Father's Day again. I love God deeply. Teach your children diligently. I hope you have a wonderful day. And uh, look forward to seeing you next week. No evening service. And uh, hey, as a father, last weekend, both my boys are going to come up and going to get married. All right? I don't know if y'all know that or not, but Timothy and Hannah, Merritt and Chloe, and I couldn't be more blessed. Uh, you pray for them. It's not easy to grow up in a home with a pastor. <laughs> Furthermore, it's not easy to grow up in churches in that bubble of watchful eyes. Uh, but I'm proud of them. And uh, more proud of the girls. No, I'm kidding. But, <laughs> but I am excited about that. I don't know about dates, you know, for them. But uh, just pray for my kids and your kids. Um, I, I, I'm praying that this means they're off my payroll, but I kind of doubt it. <laughs> uh, amen. All right. Well, God bless each one of you and have a wonderful week. Happy Father's Day. Amen. Amen. <clears throat>